0: Hello, and welcome to the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and if you're enjoying the show, you can subscribe to my newsletter where you'll receive every new episode a week ago. Head to theconsumervc.com and click subscribe. All content and episodes are intended for informational entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Our guest today is Mike Kareb, CEO of Dewey's Bakery. Dewey's Bakery was founded in 1930 in Winston-Salem and was famous regionally for their baked goods. Fairly recently, they opened up a CPG line with lots of treats. Their cookies are incredibly delicious. I'm not just saying that because Mike came on the show. I really do think that they are incredible. We discussed the history of Dewey's, why they decided to start a CPG line, approach to baking and manufacturing, brand positioning, and how Mike became the CEO, which is a pretty fascinating story. Without further ado, here's Mike. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you, Mike? Good, thank you. Great to have you on the show. So talk to me a little bit about your attraction initially. I know that your career has expanded really within consumer packaged goods. What was your initial attraction to the business? Just kind of going back, Sorry from the beginning.
1: So my attraction to Dewey specifically was when I kind of got called to take a look at it and and learn a little more. First and foremost, I, I love the product. Right. And to me, taste is the biggest and most important thing in the food business. So I tried these thin little cookies and I I never thought I would like a little lemon cookie that much or a ginger cookie. So so that was exciting. The other thing that I really liked about it, though, when I came down to Winston-Salem and visited, you know, the team that was here and went around to their local bakeries, it's like, oh, my goodness, you've got this amazing, you know, local, authentic. 90-year-old bakery business that, that the rest of the world doesn't know about. There's a big marketing idea in addition to a great product. So that kind of got me really interested in the beginning.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And how did it come to be? What was it like? Because your company was acquired by Dewey's. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Right. So I had I had co-founded Farm and Oven back in 2017. So this came to be through um, through our our now investor, uh, Eurasio, a private equity investor. They were they were interested in getting you know, buying a minority position in the company, probably had a similar reaction to that I did. But but earlier they saw the product at a show and said, wow, what a great product. I think there's something here. And then one of the uh, investors there knows me a bit and called me, asked me to, if I would take a look at it. I wasn't really ready to sell my company yet, but I just really thought this was number one, that was such a great idea. And that there was a big platform to do something with. And I also thought it'd be good for farm and oven. It'd be a good thing to get a bit more scale, right? You know, when you're, when you're early, you're you know, you're working around the clock to kind of get everything done. I thought that would actually help the business by bringing a bit more scale uh, and combining the two together.
0: That's awesome. What was it like doing that transaction as well? Because it was a, it was like the early period of COVID, right?
1: It was, yeah. So uh, fascinating, right? So first, first for the the size of the business, very complex transaction because you know, Dewey's is buying Farm and Oven. Eurasio is investing into Dewey's. I'm joining as as the CEO. Scott Livingood, who who was the sole owner, is, is staying on as the executive chair. So, you know, he's involved. So a lot of it was us all working together and making sure we had a great plan and we're all aligned. But interestingly, I think the one thing that maybe was a little different during COVID, well, first, we couldn't travel. So we weren't you know, we were doing a lot more virtually. But we were also, when the time came for us to get together, a little more comfortable with it because both Farm and Oven and Dewey's were self-manufactured, which means we were still up and running and seeing people even during COVID because we were manufacturing companies. So I think we were a little more used to, you know, actually being in a room with someone. (laughs)
0: How do you also think about because Dewey's has an incredible story. I mean, it's been around for almost a hundred years as a bake shop and really as a staple within North Carolina. How do you think about creating this, you know, packaged goods business? I know it started, of course, before your your reign as CEO, but how do you think about as well as this kind of relationship between the bake shop itself and the actual uh, package business?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because the bake shops make all kinds of stuff, right? They're making cakes and pastries. And I think the, you know, the the biggest challenge is how do we link those two things together? Because the bake shop locally is beloved and known. There's not a person who, who lives here who has not, who doesn't know it, who hasn't used it, who hasn't you know, been there, people who go to Wake Forest or school come in and find out about it. So part of the challenge for us is we now build it on a national scale, is how do you bring some of what made it so beloved locally, which has actually helped us in, I'll say more local stores, If and, and by local, I mean Food Lion, you know, big retailer, but but more here in the North Carolina area. So as we go to markets where the brand isn't known, part of it is how do we make sure we bring those cues of the local bakery with us? So we redid the packaging to kind of really bring an authentic bakery look. The front of the package now has much more of a bakery look with the awning and the Dewey's Bakery since 1930. We tell a bit more of the story and have some of the heritage photographs on the back of it. But we also use our, our social media to tell the story. Right, So we start often, even as we've gone on to TikTok, which has now become a big platform for us, we start with the bakery and it's about icing and cakes and the authenticity and then we'll bring the cookies in once people can kind of see what we're all about. That actually works really well because then it's actually a real bakery making these cookies, not Not some guy making up the fact that they had a bakery, but they really don't, you know.
0: Right, right, right. No, for sure, for sure. How do you leverage, I mean, uh, social media as well and and marketing? I know you mentioned TikTok. How do you also think about making the brand? Because of course it is, you know, a story brand, been around for a long time. How do you kind of keep things fresh when it comes to, you know, your own perspective within baked goods? One critical thing is that
1: we're bringing something new and different to the market. So part of keeping it fresh is making sure that we're bringing something that isn't just... I'm going to say this in a way that's going to sound more disparaging than I mean it, but just another chocolate chip cookie. Because there are great chocolate chip cookies out there, but there are a thousand of them. and, And there are great ones and good ones and not so good ones. But what I really like is that we bring... Really unique flavors um, and and full flavors. I mean, I'd look at this and call it permissible indulgence. You know, it's not just a um, a health only item or an indulgent only item, but you know, we're bringing Meyer lemon and triple ginger. You know in our brownie crisp which is the closest we come to kind of mainstream and salted caramel so part of that means we bring something unique right that's not in the market today we certainly want to you know have modernized or freshened up the packaging graphics on all of our packs you know we're bringing new innovation as we bring more hand-to-mouth smaller you know uh, packages into the market um, and we'll continue to bring new flavors to it but some of it also is how we go to market right TikTok is a great way for us to reach a consumer um, that you know we're we're not in every store, so we're just not going to be able to to do a national you know TV campaign like the old days. But what a great way for us to connect with people in a more authentic and organic way.
0: Totally. How as well do you approach then you know on the e-commerce side of the business? I'd imagine still it's probably heavy retail. That I'd imagine that that's probably the majority of your sales. But what are some of the ways that you're able to actually approach like your your e-commerce channels?
1: Yeah, so we have a we have a very large e-commerce business. The store sales, the retail store sales are are bigger just because of the amount of stores we're now in and the presence, right? You know, you're, you know, when you're in a Walmart and a Food Lion and a Fresh Market, you're going to reach a lot of people. But the our e-commerce business is big and to me there's a few things that make it really critical to the strategy, right? The first is we get national presence through the e-commerce platform. Our own as well as Amazon's, but let's just look at even Dewey's.com much more quickly than we do get into every store, right? Store is kind of chain by chain, you know, sometimes region by region as you build out. So we get a national presence immediately without a lot of barriers to entry. I love that we get kind of quick real-time feedback, you know, so we can try new things and try new products on e-commerce first and see what resonates and then bring that story into more stores without you know without a lot of uh, a lot of effort and we do sell some different things on e-commerce right so in addition to our core items you know i'll say packaged in the right sizes we have a pretty substantial gifting business which allows us to bring our cookies as well as some other products like our heritage moravian sugar cakes and create gift baskets of things that we might not really work in a retail store But work really, really well in e-commerce or in a gift basket, um, either for yourself or for someone you want to share it with.
0: That's really cool. So for online, I'd imagine on the testing side, it might be like limited edition runs. Then you kind of maybe base that off on sales and see if you want to actually then release it full on in retail as one of the aspects. That's right. Or we might do the
1: first run and start there and just kind of see, does this take off or not, right? So it gives us the ability to to test a new flavor. We've had our peanut butter product, which is our newest flavor, in our thins lineup on e-commerce, you know, on our own website before we had it in stores. So you get a little learning on it, right? Is it a great idea or a good idea? Is there anything we should change about it, right? So it gives you a little chance to kind of experiment and then get it, you know, get closer to the pin when you go big.
0: All I can say is that was my wife's favorite flavor, uh, oh, the right. peanut butter one. So, um, okay. so very, very happy that that all made right. it So into... then we got that one right. So one <laughs> exactly, <two. laughs> exactly. No, that makes a lot of sense. A really big theme in, in in terms of health and wellness products throughout, you know, a number of categories within food and beverage. I know a lot of the founders that I talk to and CEOs that I talk to when it comes to companies that are becoming more gaining natural distribution are much more health and wellness focused. How do you think about within the snacking and, and sweets, you know, those maybe large categories? How do you think about like the consumer standpoint and what do you think about Deweys in like that regard?
1: We like to call it permissible indulgence is the place where we really fit and slot in. You know, there are, there are indulgent products that, you know, many of which have been around for a long time and, and they sell a certain amount. Um, there's no question that whatever the latest health trend is will get some momentum, right? You know, whether it's low sugar or gluten-free or keto diet, whatever's, whatever's kind of in. I think we see though a space that can be very, very enduring where we're bringing full-flavored products to the market, but they're more per- permissible, number one, because they've got all clean ingredients, right? So they're non-GMO, there's no artificial flavors, colors, it's, it, these are made by bakers using closer to pure ingredients, that's probably not the right word, and, and someone will say don't use that word, but, but you know what I mean. But they're also only 15 calories a cookie. We're not necessarily trying to create a diet cookie, but it's really permissible to know we've got these thin little cookies that are 15 calories and, and pack a real big flavor punch.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, all I can say though is once I have one of them of your cookies, and I that I have like a, a like ten or, or fifteen of them, they're just so delicious.
1: So that's one hundred and fifty calories. That's not bad. So that's okay. That's, <laughs>
0: not that. not bad. Not bad. They are a little addictive. I will
1: say that. That's um, that's why they I'm here because I can't. I like the
0: <laughs> exactly. How also do you approach your supply chain? And imagine the bake shop was. Vertically integrated, since you're, you know, making baked goods, probably in a factory or within the shop itself. How do you approach it from a consumer packaged goods perspective as you're building out Dewey's?
1: We are uh, vertically integrated. We do self-manufacture, but the shift from from what was just the initial bakeries you know the local bakeries to a consumer packaged good is a different operation right it's a much bigger scale because now we're making cookies you know for everyone around the country so the key there's probably two important things here the first is we needed a way and and some of this and this happened before me so I'll give the previous owner and and chair some credit here we needed a way to make sure we could take this kind of authentic moravian style Cooking technique for these small cookies and do it on a bigger scale, right? So we sort of keep the integrity of the craftsmanship and the batch operation, but we're making millions instead of making, you know, hundreds of these cookies at a time. But the other thing, I guess, just from a business perspective, I like being vertically integrated, you know, and I know that's been it's not in vogue for everybody in this. There's always the asset light. It's really helped us a lot in this supply chain challenge. The first is we control the quality of the product. Right. So we're not at the mercy of someone else. But we also control our own destiny, because if we go to Walmart, we go to, you know, Albertsons and they want to take us national, the answer is sure. Just, uh, you know, we'll go, we'll start baking right away um, versus having to call a co-packer and figure out if we can do it. So there's a lot of advantages. It's more capital involved, but a lot of advantages once you've got it set up.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. How as well do you think when you're, maybe if there's interest from retailers going nationally, how do you approach capacity overall when it comes to your, your supply chain?
1: Yeah, that is a good question because we actually um, were up against that this year. And I should also tell you, we don't only make our own products. We do make some products for some others as well. And that is actually how the manufacturing operation started you know, 15 years ago. Um, However, what we did is we knew that capacity would start to get tight um, in our current system. So we really prioritized. We made a pretty significant SKU reduction. We took out about a third of our items. Some of those were items for our own brand. Some of them were... Partners who might have been a little smaller or a little less profitable, some of them you'd even know the names, but perhaps they weren't that important for us. That five years ago, they made all the sense in the world, but today we need to do bigger, longer, you know production runs, doing a couple hour run or a small shift is is not as helpful. So we got much more efficient. We then also strengthened our manufacturing team with new resources in in some different leadership positions, which really is the difference between taking this from a small company to a national and taking it from a you know, company that's starting to be national to a big company. Um, it's just a different set of resources. And then we've gotten, um, so that, that's actually helped us to drive a lot more efficiency in our operation. And now we're adding capacity. So we've, you know, that's, uh, we'll have another 50%
0: capacity by the end of the year. Amazing. That's great. I really do appreciate you sharing that. I know you talked a bit about on the e-commerce side, you maybe have these limited runs just to see if a type of cookie would take off. For example, I'm very, very happy it did, uh, the peanut butter cookie. But how as well, do you also have ambitions to expand or maybe you already have beyond cookies or making it so it's Dewey's Bake Shop Bake, it has a variety of other assortments as well? So yes,
1: and we do a lot more of that through e-commerce first. So if you go on our e-commerce, that, that's where you will get, you know, you can order, you know, you can, the trick is things that we can also sell through e-commerce and ship, right? So our Moravian sugar cakes are something we can sell through our e-commerce channel because they are, they have, they can go through the shipping channels and get to your home. You know, we can kind of, keep them chilled ahead of time we'll do that with some specialty items like you know iced oatmeal sandwiches or things that won't otherwise uh, show up what we don't do yet and would require a little bit of a, a little bit of a different lift is we don't really go outside the market for things like cakes right because they've only got a They've got a very short shelf life on them. But we use a lot of our gift baskets as ways to try some different things. We'll sell some different items that actually then we can get you know a nice sale on it without it having to stand on its own, but find it, get some feedback immediately.
0: What were some of the biggest learnings that you saw? Cause we talk about this a lot on the show, the power of, of e-commerce and that you can get some really quick feedback loops from customers and iterate your product based on those feedback loops where, you know, in a wholesale business, you have lead times, you have a lot. It's tougher because you, of course, you know, are there and your product sits on the shelf until like the next order comes in, which could be, you know, a couple months or so. How have you been able to leverage e-commerce to help you ideate on new products, new SKUs, or or even feedback to maybe alter recipes or ingredients?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that the most obvious one is some of what we've done in terms of launching an item a little bit earlier in its life cycle. But we also have been able to test a lot of marketing applications as well. Altering the recipe requires us to go to our, often we'll go to our e-commerce customers, you know, through our own platform. And, and do a special run for them and have them give us feedback because they, they're they lovers already. So they're going to, you know, probably be the best feedback we're going to get in some cases, right, on a new item. So we'll use them to kind of help us hone in on it, maybe before it's even actually, you know, in the market and, and get a subset. But it, it also, it's a great way for us to learn about our marketing activity because we can, you know, when you're marketing and linking someone direct to the site, you know, your you know, your ROAS, your return on ad sales Immediately. And we may say, oh no, it's got to take time to build, but the reality is we usually know in the first twenty four hours if we've got a, a good or a bad a, a bad message. And then that informs the messaging we would take out to the rest of the market.
0: No, that's that's really helpful. You know, I talked to investors that are, especially on the private equity side, that are nuts and bolts kind of CPG investors. And they were saying how sometimes brands If they aren't in retail, it can be a bit tricky on the pricing side because they haven't really factored in a wholesale business and their pricing could be very wrong or or not great to actually have a great wholesale business. Did Dewey start off in retail and then develop an e-commerce business that was launched at the same time? Or how do you also think about pricing those in that kind of capacity when it comes to your wholesale business as well as e-commerce?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was launched, I would say it was launched, you know, first in retail, but the e-commerce wasn't far behind. But it was, um, but getting the, to some degree, you've got to actually, if you're going to go into retail, you have to get the pricing right for retail. If you don't, you're going to. Right. You're either going to be priced out of the market or you're never going to make money on it, right? So so you, understanding, right, all the channels and the distributors and everything you've got to go through and understanding the different prices for different different channels, different competitors, is important to figure that out. It's actually, um, I believe, easier to get it right in e-commerce on your own site because you can package in very different kinds of configurations. People are buying often larger packs or multi-packs or several products at a time that's a little bit different than when they're going to the store and you know they're filling up a shopping cart and they're probably going to buy one box of Dewey's. If they're coming to the Dewey's site, they might buy. They might be loading up a little bit more and buying three or four boxes, or they might want a larger size pack, or they may want to buy, buy a couple of things and try something else that they haven't tried that we make because they already like the brand.
0: It's also clever because when it comes to snacks, uh, sweets, cookies, um, it's hard to get that basket, right, to actually be for a customer to spend a certain amount of money um online, which is why, you know e-commerce, sometimes the economics don't quite work when it comes to uh, CPG brands. But I do think it's pretty clever that you've been able to do these gifting baskets. So you actually are able to kind of increase those average order values, which I think is really cool.
1: Exactly. If we can get $30 or $50 for, for a ring, um, that makes all the difference in the world, right? And now since we make it and ship it ourselves, you know, we're, our fulfillment costs are better than if someone has to go through a third-party arrangement. But you can test prices really, really quickly in e-commerce, right? If it's not working, you know, we priced it too high, well, okay, try it. A couple of dollars lower and see what happens, and then it's a question of does it you know does it work from a margin standpoint, or maybe we're selling out and we've underpriced it. You, you can't do that at retail, right? You're you're going through a customer, you're locked into you know an arrangement for a long period of time.
0: Totally, totally. How also do you think about an approach Amazon comparatively to your website? I know some brands, for example, will, will even like price lower on Amazon versus their website, or or just what are your thoughts overall about how you approach different channels on on e commerce?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, Amazon is an area where we have been building our business as well. In general, we. We like to be more line priced for similar items on Amazon. Now that does mean we're going to make less money on Amazon than we're going to make on our site um, because when we have complete control of supply chain, we're we're capturing all the efficiencies and, and Amazon's going to make a little bit of money on that sale as well. That being said, we don't always sell all the same items because the, the challenge on Amazon is making sure that we have items that are interesting to the Amazon, cons- you know, customer, right? Whoever's going on and shopping and looking for us. But also we've got to do something to get that margin right. And that might mean we do a little bit of a different assortment sometimes. So we don't necessarily sell every item on Amazon that we sell on our site. Some of them we, we just don't have a way to, to get them economically right or it's just too small a pack size to make it work. Amazon, we really need to get kind of minimum, minimum pack sizes and prices for the economics to work given their their cost in shipping.
0: The good news is
1: you reach so many more people with that in the right. right? So that's the positive side. So it's it's a, it's an important
0: part of the mix. Exactly. And so since you've come on board, have you also been having a fundraise for Dewey's or not so much?
1: So since I came on board, we it's about two years, just about two years that we're coming up on that now. So Eurasio put in a significant investment as part of their minority share. We haven't been out fundraising. Um, what we, you know, we've, we certainly uh, created good financing streams, you know, in terms of get a line of credit. We we're putting new production capacity in and, and, you know, certainly getting the right line of, you know, getting the right capital structure for that. But beyond that, we really look at some of our bakeries and, and you know, and the fact that we have some, you know, some third party manufacturing we do that eats up a lot of our overheads as a way to allow us to and give us capability to invest back in the business. It's great.
0: What are just a couple of um, things that you've kind of maybe learned about yourself or or learned about this business that you maybe didn't know before in the past two years as, as you think about your own journey since becoming CEO of Dewey's?
1: Oh, all right, that's a great question. So let's see, learned about myself and my own journey. Well, I would say I've known for a while that what I'm really passionate about is building businesses and up until I started my own business I, I had only run things that you know, had a lot of zeros and were billions of dollars in global. And and so taking that first move and, and doing something where it's a startup from the beginning was a great way to, you know, to kind of get into that. But I'll tell you, just further this, doing this is just further solidified. Um, I just love building things and building businesses. And I, I love this part of it. And it's just so much more fun to be close enough to it um, that it's hands on, right? There's not 10 layers below me where, you know, we've got a great team, but we're still pretty lean so we can move fast and that makes it really interesting. I guess about the business, uh, I probably have learned, I guess there's two things I learned. The first is the product is as good as as advertised and as good as I thought. And last year we really grew our velocity um, by putting some marketing in, in, in behind it for the first time and it's very responsive to that. What I also learned, though, is uh, especially during COVID, it's not so easy to just go walk in and get every retailer to say, sure, come on in, I'll put you on the shelf. And I think, you know, it, that that's getting that's getting a lot easier this year than it was last year now that we've had some success under our belt. But I think there's a, a little bit of the, the humbling reminder that we're still early in our life cycle. And, you know, not everybody outside of North Carolina knows what a Dewey is. They will soon, and we're starting to build that presence pretty significantly. But that was quite a bit of work over the last 18 months to get to this point.
0: How do you think about, um, ultimately, like, how do you think about consumer stickiness as relate to maybe Deweys or just, you know, a product in general? Because it's on, uh, on the, show we say, a lot of consumers are fickle. But actually, I feel like you know if consumers are fickle, then brands wouldn't matter. How do you think about this kind of relationship between consumer stickiness and and overall the brand?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say the first most important thing is that the brand experience over delivers against the brand promise that they bought into, right? And that, that sounds like a lot of marketing speak. But the reality is, you know, people buy a concept, but they repeat because it tasted great right? Or it tasted as good or better than expected. So if we can get that first trial, you know, out there and someone buys it and says, wow, that tastes even better than I thought, or I couldn't stop eating them, you know, as you and I were talking about before, that's going to get them coming back. And then it's a matter of just continuing to have kind of the right marketing messages. I think it's important that we create something where the brand is a bit more identifiable than just a product on a shelf, right? The connection with a a hometown heritage bakery, I think actually extends the stickiness because there's a lot more to read about the brand that's real and authentic and interesting um, that makes it more identifiable. Um, in our case, we also do a lot of, um, of philanthropic work, especially in North Carolina, but we will find a way to donate a lot of money to a lot of causes, but the biggest thing we do is, is pop-up stores for the holiday, and we give a lot of the profits of that to the charities that we partner with. And I think that's, it's all part of the, it's part of the stickiness, right? We have this authentic Moravian baking heritage in our recipe. We've got this strong concept from North Carolina um, and we give back, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, you know, we're not necessarily billions of dollars, but, you know, to be able to give back $4 million over the last couple of years is something that we really feel great about.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. I think it also probably stems, too, from when I think about consumer stickiness was when you told me about when you first tried Dewey's and just how amazing it tasted, right? And so you have, of course, the amazing taste is what's going to get the consumers to kind of come back and become you know, sticky and, and, and really identify your product. And then everything else is just icing on the cake, which is great. Yeah, everything else is sort of
1: the, the, the story around it that makes you feel good about it or makes you, you know, it's a little bit more of the badge. But it is, I mean, it does come down to taste, right? Does this thing taste amazing? Am I going to eat it again? Or was it a one-time purchase? And thanks, and I'll go try the next one.
0: Exactly, absolutely.
1: And we have, a, we have a great repeat rate that people
0: do come back for that reason. That's great, that's great. So what is one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally?
1: Personally, uh, the Napoleon Hill book, Think and Grow Rich. Not so much about rich as much as about really reaching your capabilities in life in so many different ways. Professionally, The Outsiders. Not Pony Boy, but The Outsiders, The Eight Unconventional CEOs book, which I just think, what I loved about that was you're looking at people who've had maybe the most success over long periods of time building businesses and reinventing them and what i took away that's so inspirational is you've got these big complex businesses and you have people who figured out how to simplify the decision making down to sometimes a couple of you know a page of notes and they can make decisions on acquisitions and i think that's amazing i guess you can see whether it's personal professional it's sort of the aspirational how do we what's greatness right and how do you become the best you can be at whatever it is you do
0: my final question to you is what's maybe the best piece of advice that you've received or one piece of advice for any entrepreneur that's out there?
1: I'll give you a, a piece of advice that I I loved, and this is good for entrepreneurs or anybody. Bad news is not like a fine wine. It doesn't get better with age. And I remember the first time I heard that, and I grew up in big companies where you don't share bad news. You kind of you soft-pedal everything. What I love about it and what it's done for me is, is just, you know, be completely transparent about everything, right? I'm completely transparent with my investors and board. Good news and bad news. Because the only way, first of all, they've invested a lot of money. I've invested money. The only way we're all going to figure this out is if we know what's working and what's not. And I really have encouraged my team, and I think they keep getting better at it, just... Tell me what's working and what's not. Nobody's going to get fired because something went wrong. But if I don't know what went wrong, I can't help you. right? I can't fix it or help you fix it or, or have a good idea about it. So I just think it's really important to just share the bad and learn from it and make a good decision.
0: I also love that because we actually haven't had anyone on the show mention that line, bad news is not like fine wine, it doesn't get better with age. So that's a great, great, great line. So really appreciate that. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. Thanks, Mike. I really enjoyed it. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure having Mike on the show. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter, at mikegelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.